0: Hello and welcome. I'm Gary Scheib. Thanks for listening in. As we continue to talk with leaders in our community, if there has been a topic that has been too embarrassing or improper to talk about in the past, well, we're going to try to break that wall down a bit today. Our guests, Mallory Swick, Kathleen Waite, and Sophie Raymond can talk about the importance of education and sharing when it comes to the health of our guts. They represent an organization dedicated to raising awareness about the inflammatory bowel diseases, Crohn's disease, and ulcerative colitis, the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation of America. Mallory, Sophie, and Kathleen, thank you for being here this morning.
1: Thanks
2: for having us.
0: I'm glad to have you. Uh, Kathleen, you're the education manager. Mallory, you're the manager of the Take Steps Walk that raises money for the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation each year. And Sophie Raymond, you are this year's honored hero for the Take Steps Walk of Western Washington. That means you have the disease and live with it. You're a young lady. You're in eighth grade. Am I right?
2: Yes, you'd be correct about that.
0: How about that? So I'm glad you're you're all here. You'll each have a different part of the story to tell. But I guess uh, we better cover some basics first, like just exactly what is Crohn's and colitis. It's actually two different diseases, right?
1: Yeah, I can take that. Um, So Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis are autoimmune diseases. Uh, They cause inflammation in the GI tract, anywhere from the mouth to the anus. And uh, symptoms can include abdominal pain, fatigue, diarrhea. And and the diseases can lead to complications, too, that require surgery. About three-quarters of patients have to have at least one surgery in their lives. So they're really serious diseases. This is not irritable bowel syndrome or IBS. This is very different. Um, These are chronic lifelong, no cures for these diseases. And we do have good treatment options, but they don't work for everyone. And so that's why we need research um, to make better treatments and and ultimately get us to cures.
0: So the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation of America, that sounds like you do a lot of things. So you're interested in finding the cure. Mm -hmm. You're interested in supporting patients who have it now and raising awareness about what the heck is going on yeah. <laughs> or why it strikes some people other. And so research is a big deal too. Yeah. Um, wow. <laughs> yeah,
1: there's a lot we don't know. There's yeah. a lot we don't know about these diseases. So,
0: But you did say autoimmune. Does that mm-hmm. mean when there's an autoimmune problem or disease in the body, that means it, the body sort of wants its own immune system wants to attack itself, right?
1: That's right. Yeah. It's in the same class as multiple sclerosis, rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, celiac disease. Um, so it's something similar is going condition. wrong
0: with this it the white corpuscles or something. So I don't know. Oh gosh, a this is beyond okay, my, <laughs> my st- level
1: here. <laughs> I better stop now.
3: But for
0: some we how- have a lot
1: of information about that on our website of oh. what exactly is going on on a molecular level. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. Good. <laughs> okay. Enough. <laughs> uh, none of us are doctors. I guess we'll say that too. You gave yeah. out titles, and none of them had a "dr." in there. Okay, nope. good. Not
1: yet. Well,
0: so, but oh. what is known and unknown about it, it? So it's not. Is it temporary? When you say no. it's not.
1: No, there are no cures. This is for your whole life. And some people are diagnosed as children. There are um, young people as young before they can't, they can even talk who are being diagnosed. And then this is something that they have for their whole lives that they have to deal with. So, and
0: are there different um, categories of people that may or may not get it or are more susceptible? Or is that research in yet?
1: Uh, we're still working on that research. Wow. There is a genetic disposition piece to it that about a quarter of patients have an immediate um, family member who also has Crohn's or colitis. Um, and there are also some connections of people who have autoimmune diseases in their family, um, other than Crohn's and colitis, but uh, it we don't know. Wow. <laughs> There's so much that we don't know still.
0: And so the research has been going on for how long? I mean, what...
1: Well, we've been around for 50 years. This is the 50th anniversary of the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation uh, this year. So we are um, funding more and more research each year. Last year was about 30 million dollars. We're just over about 300 million dollars invested overall, and we also advocate to get um, federal funding from the government as well.
0: And so, is it known how many people suffer from these IBDs? Is that that is well, known? Okay.
1: It it is 1.6 million Americans is the estimate. Has that been growing
0: over 50 years? Yes, yes it has. As a percentage of the population?
1: Um, Yes, and it's 1 in 200 is the estimate. So think about how many people you know, how many Facebook friends you have. So if you think you don't know someone with Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis, think again. Because odds are you know somebody and they just don't want to talk about their bathroom Uh, Issues going on.
0: So this is radio and people can't see us. And, you know, that takes a layer away of uh, embarrassment, I guess. Mm -hmm. But it it is kind of hard to talk about. Uh, parts of our life that, I mean, think about cancer itself. I mean, we Mm -hmm. didn't 50 years ago, we didn't, we whispered, oh, she has cancer, you know, and that was, that was all anybody said, or or even alcoholism, dad's got a problem. And that's all we said, you know, but now uh, raising awareness is a big deal, isn't it? Uh,
3: Yeah. So part of my job with running Take Steps is our, our mission is to empower, inspire, and connect these patients. So because just in general life there isn't really an avenue for people with IBD to go out and meet each other and feel supported, Take Steps this big walk that we do um, here in Seattle is a way for us to bring all the patients in this area together and let them know that um, they have each other to support each other, that they have all their caretakers to support them, and their doctors and their nurses and these um, pharmaceutical companies and all of our sponsors are coming out and showing them um, that there's a whole community around you um, and you don't have to um, feel embarrassed or you know worry about being taboo or anything like that. um, There's definitely a really big family atmosphere when you come there.
0: So some of those walls we're talking about are broken down with a group like this. It's not just for research and and education. It's uh a... a peer support network, isn't it, I guess?
1: And that makes a big difference.
3: It, it does. It really does.
0: Sophie, so I was going to ask, as we were talking big picture things, it's not an old person's disease. That's you're right. You're an eighth grader. You've had the... I don't know if you want to start right in with your story. When did you get first diagnosed, et cetera? And I lean got, right into that microphone for me.
2: I got diagnosed in the fifth grade, which is... I was 11, I believe. Wow. and. It was just beyond me that such things could happen. I always thought, you know, it's something that wouldn't happen to me, but you know, it just goes to show that it can happen to anybody really. And I started getting like these really bad stomach aches and I wasn't hungry all the time and just my energy level was crashing down through the floor. So it was just taking all this stuff out of me. And when I went to school, I started noticing it more and eventually I told mom, Uh, and we went to the doctor, and she put me on a scale, you know, one of those ones with the slidey things on top. (laughs) (laughs) One of the older ones. A
0: real professional-looking scale. Yeah,
2: Yeah. (laughs) one of the slidey ones. But um, she put me on the scale, and she said you know, this scale is pretty old. I'm not sure this could be right. So let's bring you to the digital one in the hallway. But what it said was the same, that I had lost 10 pounds since my last checkup. And that's pretty extreme for a so, young person yeah, like that.
0: Nine, 10, and 11-year-olds are supposed to be gaining weight every yeah, year, yeah. and yeah. you lost 10 pounds with it? Yeah. Wow, my goodness.
2: And um, it's never a good thing to see your doctor's jaw drop after <laughs> oh looking gosh. at something, which was very scary as a fifth grader, you know, it would be scary at my age as well, but like perhaps even more scary. And you know, she was she gave me these things called probiotics, which are like some more like supplementary gut bacteria. Mm-hmm. And w- I tried those for a couple months but nothing seemed to be really happening. So she sent me to Seattle Children's a hospital to see a specialist called a gastroenterologist, which is a long fancy name for a doctor who studies your digestive tract. Right. And after a lot of tests, like an MRI machine which scans your insides and a colonoscopy, which mostly only people who are older than I am people get. my age are
0: <laughs> <and
2: older, yeah. laughs> um he finally decided that I had Crohn's disease and then I need to start pursuing treatment options. So it was a lot to go through as a fifth grader, but I kind of have matured now and I know how to handle
0: so, it. So, you know, Mallory was talking about the the people that can get together with this at a to take steps walk and this CCFA is a good resource for that. So as a fifth and then sixth grader, I don't know how long this took for them to actually figure this out, but was there that kind of stigma as a young, such a young person? I have this disease that nobody else has, and I have to alter my lifestyle, and I have all these tests. And what was that like? If you're able to articulate that, or maybe, maybe as a young person that you didn't even notice that. I um, don't know.
2: Well, one thing I do really clearly remember is right before the colonoscopy, they made me not eat for like a day and a half yeah. or two days, and I was going into school those two days, and I came in with a uh, lunch box full of jello and chicken stock oh. looking all around at the other kids who had like pasta and sandwiches um it was uh not good and my i had told one of my friends at the time and she said why are they starving you you need more food if you've lost weight so uh, it was kind of strange just to see like in that moment i realized that my experience was going to be quite different than most of my friends who had never experienced Going to the hospital for such things, yeah. and it was um, it was really interesting to think about
0: wow. Is that has that been your experience? I mean, is she a pretty typical kid who gets it? It strikes all ages. Sophie's
1: anything but a typical kid. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I think that experience is is common. I mean, I was also diagnosed with Crohn's disease when I was eleven years old. Um, as that's peak onset is really um, in those preteen and teen years. Um, is, is one of the highest times when people when ki- when people are diagnosed with these diseases. About a quarter of the cases are diagnosed. Under the age of 18, um, so that's that's crazy when you think about that. Here's something that you're gonna have for your whole life, and I mean, gosh, when you think about like your teenage years, being in middle school, it's awkward enough, and then you're gonna add on that you have to run to the bathroom, you might be gassy, you have to eat different things, um, all these issues that are and your weight is going up and down and changing. Um, it just adds another layer of stress onto an already tough time of of life.
0: Yeah. And so, I, I'm sorry to keep asking personal no. No, questions of okay. you, so that's kind <laughs> that's of why, why you're here, here, though, to share yeah. and to educate us all. Um, so now, as you become a teenager, I mean, life is like... <laughs> <laughs>
2: exactly how Kathleen <laughs>
0: described it. Yeah, like Kathleen just said, it's a hard part anyway, and it's so many changes are going on. What's the, you know, protocol for uh, kids hanging out Say, oh, but I want to invite uh, Sophie, but, you know, we're going to go hang out and have pizza and stuff, but yeah she's got Crohn's disease. Maybe we better not. I mean, do you still i mean how are your friends? Does that circle tighten or you've seen that fall off, or you probably find out who your real friends are?
2: Well, I have a lot of really close friends, and I've told them about my Crohn's disease. like I just made a presentation in front of the entire school about it, so <laughs> that was interesting just earlier today, um or I guess. Wednesday. Let's say, yeah, last Wednesday. In in radio time. (laughs) Radio time Wednesday. And um, it was just my, I feel like a lot, all of my friends, all of my friends are really supportive. I've told them, like, I have to go in for an IV infusion every seven weeks to keep me healthy. And that's the only thing I have to take right now, thank goodness. But um they, they are very supportive. I've even had friends come into an infusion with me just to be there with me and support me. And that was a really special opportunity, and I just love how supportive my friends are.
0: That is cool, that's nice to hear. We are talking this morning with Sophie Raymond, Kathleen Waite, and Mallory Swick from the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation of Western Washington. And Mallory, so to support this kind of uh, progress, uh, we're talking about uh, your Biggest fundraiser, right? Coming up next week. So, give us the inside scoop on uh, the Take Steps here.
3: Yeah, so Take Steps is our annual 5K run walk. Um, here in Seattle, we do it at Magnuson Park um, over by the UW, and um, it's a great event. It's super family friendly, it's dog friendly. Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, it's dog friendly. It's dog
3: friendly, of course. Actually, that um, Magnuson
0: Park has a beautiful dog park. Exactly. As well, or, you yeah, can go
3: hit it up right afterwards. on Lake
0: Washington. It is a beautiful setting. If yep. people have not been to that, it's one of Seattle's nicest parks. It's it big, is big, beautiful things can go on there at the same time. And
3: we've been promised it'll be really sunny, oh, so, good. Um, so we're excited about that. But yeah, we have a big festival set up, and we have sponsor booths. We have a huge kids zone that um, is being sponsored by a toy company this year, so it's a great way to come get your kids tired. Um, <laughs> but really, the point of the day is to bring out our patients and their caregivers and their health support teams um, and just show everybody that, that we're all connected and we're out there supporting each other. And then, of course, we're trying to raise money for a cure as well. So our and
0: goal... Yeah. How does it raise money? Get, what's the the fundraising part? Just walking around at the park doesn't raise money. People <laughs> have to get involved. Absolutely. Okay, now give us that.
3: Yeah, so people <laughs> um, can register on our website. It's cctakesteps.org slash washington 2017
0: Okay, now I'm going to make you say that again. That's a long one, and people just rent and got their pencil. <laughs> okay.
3: Yeah. org slash Western Washington 2017.
0: OK, the Take Steps walk. So if they miss that, Take Steps is the name of the walk. Yes, and it's Google for it. Crohn's and Colitis. Yeah. <laughs>
3: yeah, it. OK, good. Um,
0: cc.takesteps.org. Dot org, yeah. yes.
3: So um, they can go on there and register. And you can register as an individual walker runner, or you can also register as a team, which is what Sophie and her family have done. So they have a team of their immediate family, some of their extended family, some of Sophie's friends. Um, and they work together, and they set a fundraising goal and they um, go on Facebook and you can host garage sales and do all sorts of things to fundraise Um, and then the day of the walk we celebrate your fundraising efforts Um, so you can reach different levels and get different incentives Um, but most people are out there in fundraising because they want to cure more than anything else and they want to support these patient programs like support groups and Camp Oasis and stuff like that so um, the fundraising comes naturally with this event but we do have a big goal of trying to fundraise $150,000 this year. Um, $150,000? Yeah, which is Which is lofty, but we know we can do it because we know that there are a lot of patients out there who are really passionate about ending these diseases.
0: How long has the Take Steps walk been going on? Uh, in here in Seattle, nine or nine ten? years. Okay. Yeah, so
3: this is our ninth year in Seattle, um, and we've moved around a little bit, but we've been at Magnuson Park for the past couple years, and um, it, it's really grown over the past few years. So we hope to continue that trend.
0: So, grown in uh, money raised or participants showing up, both and
3: both. So this year we expect between six and seven hundred people there. Oh, nice! Which will be awesome. Um, and this year is also the first time we've added this timed five k element to it, hoping to bring out more people from the community who may not be connected to these diseases. That's
0: right. A lot of people just like to enter 5Ks and run and race. Exactly. And give them another opportunity. <laughs> yeah. And so there's like a small registration fee for that. Yeah, okay. it's
3: $35 to register for the 5K. And you can do that on the same website. Um, but we, yeah, we're hoping this year it can bring out some more people. And also, a lot of our IBD patients, you wouldn't know it, but they are extreme athletes um, and are uh, living super healthy and productive lives. So this gives them a chance to show how much they're thriving as well.
0: And what time? Did we say what time? It's in the afternoon?
3: Yeah, so it's in the afternoon. Our registration and festival kicks off at 2 o'clock, so that's when the bounce house will go up to, uh, again, tire oh, your kids out. House, uh, right yeah. right. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a party. Um, and then our 5K will kick off at 3.30. That's the start time, so you cannot be there later than 3.30.
0: Great. Did so- you say the date? Oh yeah. Next Sunday. Next Sunday, the, June 11th. <laughs> oh good.
3: <Yeah.
0: laughs> I'm glad Kathleen is here. Do we
3: say <laughs> yes. the thing? Yes. <laughs> Sunday. That's not bad. Either. Next yeah. week,
0: Sunday, Magnuson Park, two o'clock to register, three thirty. The walk and the run gets going. And yep. you said dogs, so p- people walk and run with their dogs. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Cool. And do people dress up as if you're a team? Sophie, do you have a team?
2: Yes, I do. And do you
0: guys like wear the same shirts or uniform or put goofy hats on or what?
2: I mean, I've been thinking about maybe making a t-shirt, but nothing has gotten in the words. Oh, I yet, think so. you get a little incentive
0: here or something. Um, so one of the money, one of the resources that is needed, Camp Oasis. I want to talk about right now. Camp Oasis sounds oh, fun, <laughs> beautiful. What this is really another one of these supports and a service offered to patients, right? Who wants to get in on it? Has any, everybody here been to Camp Oasis? Has no one been to Camp Oasis? What is Camp Oasis?
3: <laughs> we'll start
1: with the what it is, and then Sophie can talk about what it's okay. like to be a camper. Um, so Camp Oasis is a summer camp. It's an overnight summer camp program just for kids with Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis. We host 12 around the country. The one here in Washington State is held at YMCA Camp Coleman, uh, just past Gig Harbor. Uh, it's oh, a beautiful spot. Oh, it's on that long Branch,
0: uh, Key Peninsula
3: there? Yeah, oh, yeah that's beautiful place Yeah, down there.
1: it's amazing. Um, um, but at Camp Oasis, the focus is not on having a disease or being sick, all the kids are medically stable. They may have had a rough year, but they're, they're good for this week, and they're there to have fun and to build confidence, build their spirit, and be. Um, we have volunteer medical staff who are there to keep them healthy, um, and also cabin counselors who are adults with Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis who are there to understand the kids and help them, support them, and be a role model and show them, here, you can grow up to be an adult Um, productive member of society, go to college, study abroad, get married, have kids, um, and uh, this disease doesn't have to define you.
0: What do you find at Camp uh, Oasis? I mean, is it, do you feel different around people that also, you know, have uh, Crohn's or colitis?
2: Honestly, I feel more comfortable because everyone understands what each other is going through and we can all relate to each other on a sort of level that I can't relate to with a lot of my friends because they don't have Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis and it's like the best family gathering you've ever been to and you always want to go back there but it's only for one week every year (laughs) it's
0: a family gathering without the rude uncle that always shows up (laughs) no comment okay (laughs) (laughs) sophie's mom is in the room all right well we'll we'll pass by that subject yeah (laughs) uh so but you feel differently you can't because you're all starting from the page same page and you know i mean what a-
1: yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely an understanding, um, and it's it's normal. It's normal if you are, if if you have different things going on, if you can't eat certain things, or if you need to use the restroom more often, or if you um, malnutrition and delayed growth is a big issue in in teens um, who have had disease that hasn't been under control. So you'll see the. the cabin of you know eighth grade boys and there's a real variance in height and that's something that is normal at camp oasis and it's not something that you get made fun of for um and so we'll have 145 kids out there this summer from washington oregon idaho montana and alaska um at our camp here in in washington state um it's just it's amazing it's ages seven to seventeen um and they they love it. They, come, they come, I can't say enough nice things. Is there a so
0: um, I don't know a waiting list? Would you like to be able to have bigger, more camps each year? I mean. Th- we have been more able counselors to, how, who so, are the folks that as this volunteer I mean how, this must cost some dough to
1: <laughs> it definitely does it definitely does and um, and we're grateful for programs like Take Steps and generous donors who are able to help support this program um, we have a registration fee for families that's really nominal but we are able to offer scholarships to every single family who requests them so about a third of our kids come to camp on a scholarship so they're not paying anything to be that's there. that's nice
0: yeah Mallory how Um, when you organize a a take steps walk like this and and you got to raise a lot of money um, how do you get I don't know the word out beyond a, a show like this and come to me and say hey people need to know more about it does every doctors every school does um, every shopping mall know that there is such a thing as crohn's and colitis and and there's a foundation that wants to help kids go to camp oasis and a, and a, or to be loved and and respected just and have their own dignity <laughs>
3: Yeah, there's I mean,
0: what a big pick. There's a lot of questions in there that <laughs> didn't really articulate well. Uh, answer any or all of them if you can.
3: It's definitely <laughs> one of the challenges that comes with working for this particular foundation is that not everybody knows about these diseases. So not only are we trying to get people to take steps, but we're also trying to get them to understand what IBD is in, in some situations. But we're really lucky um, that our foundation is really volunteer-driven, um, and so we're able to promote Take Steps and even just put on the event itself because we have really dedicated volunteers who um, are willing to put their time and effort into going to every Starbucks in town and putting a a poster on the bulletin board or um, they're willing to talk to their companies that they work for and see if they'd be interested in putting together a corporate team um, or finding a a sponsorship. Um, A lot of the places that support take steps then go on and continue to have these partnerships with the foundation. Um, and that's what makes programs like Camp Oasis and our um, patient education events. It's kind of what keeps everything ticking. It's like a, a cog in a very <laughs> intricate set of gears. So um, no, we're, we're very lucky that we have a lot of volunteers to help us out.
0: So, And for the rest of the year, are your volunteer run? I mean, CCFA probably has some kind of staff that's a national organization, but yeah. is it really a lot of volunteers? That
3: it really is. It's the I would say that's the heart and the soul of our foundation. Here in the Northwest chapter, we have a staff of about six people, yeah. um, and that we're putting on events all year round, um, take steps. We have a football tournament in the fall. We have patient education programs year round. We do um, an endurance program. Training program for half marathons called Team Challenge. We do a luncheon, so our staff is putting together on all those events and giving opportunities for people to come and donate and raise funds. But it's the volunteers who really make that happen at the end of the day, and they're they're with us year round and they make every event go on.
0: That's really cool. I, I like the grassroots nature of this and, and that, that it's just people. Yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Okay, so one more time, I'm going to make sure that we say this right. CCFA. org is the uh, Crohn's and Colitis Foundation of America like national website and that's got a lot of resources on it that'll tell people uh, give them insight really on symptoms and questions <laughs> to ask and if they're not sure that's right. wh- who to go to next that's a good starting point isn't yeah. it
1: disease information and information about the um, treatment options so that patients can make informed decisions with their healthcare team
0: and did we even talk about what symptoms are living with symptoms I mean we didn't they, really cover that. I know we, they again, vary
1: patient to patient. So that's part of it. We kind of, of got it, into raising
0: money and right? talking about
1: abdominal pain, fatigue. Um, Sophie mentioned that her energy dropped, um, and that's because and, and malnutrition. So losing weight if you're a young growth. person,
0: you delayed growth. You're, yeah. you're not gaining weight. You're not growing like you should.
1: Unexpected weight loss, <laughs> unintentional weight loss. Um, there's there's a, a whole blood in stool is a big one. Um, If you're having blood in your stool, go see your doctor, don't delay. but uh, it, it really varies, and there's, there is more about that on, on our website, too. And
0: do doctors know now enough about Crohn's and colitis that before too long into the diagnosis, oh, you know what we should check for is Crohn's or colitis? I mean, We
1: hope so. Um, I think we're, we're lucky in Seattle that we have a lot of really good doctors here, um, especially in the gastroenterology field. Um, but that's one of our dreams is that we could have a, um, a, a force of volunteers who can help um, educate not only gastroenterologists, but primary care doctors of what are those signs to look for to then refer them to a gastroenterologist to check to see if it's Crohn's disease or ulcerative mm. colitis.
0: And before we run out of time, I got a couple of minutes left. Um, we're talking about raising money at the Take Steps Walks for Crohn's and colitis and research. Are, are there are there any points forward? We're looking at, oh, we're about to have a breakthrough or here's the really big that we don't know enough about that we're funneling money toward and we want to research on this or any key points about the future that I don't know, the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation is, is looking toward?
1: I mean, there's there's a lot of different areas where we're looking at. We're looking at the microbiome. We're looking at genetics. We're looking uh, at you environmental. You better back up. Uh, you said a <laughs> word oh, I didn't sorry. know. sorry. Microbiome. <laughs> yeah, microbiome. Um, that's what like what the, that? the bacteria in your gut, basically. Oh, okay.
0: Um, you guys must all know that word. <laughs> I didn't know it. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Um,
1: yeah, genetics. What's What role does genetics play in these diseases? And then environmental triggers. So there, um, there's a lot that we don't know about that, too, is what role do antibiotics play? or hormones in meat and milk and um, they're just things that people have suspected for a long time might play a role Hmm. that we're finally going to invest some time and research to go through it methodically and figure out what are those things get that could trigger these diseases. Yeah, to onset. it sounds like there
0: are a lot of avenues of research still to be done because mm-hmm. what causes it is yeah. still an open question and how to cure it is yeah. a big open question. Those are two of the biggest yeah. things for a, a disease like this, a chronic lifelong disease needs to figure out. So I'm mm-hmm. so glad you're here raising awareness and raising money for research. Yeah. Okay, last item. We are going to run out of time. Did we forget any important thing either about raising money, awareness, being able to share, uh, talking about Crohn's colitis, the Take Steps? or If not, again, the dates of, is next week, right?
3: It's next week. It's next Sunday on June 11th at Magnuson Park. Um, and our festival opens at 2 o'clock and our 5K kicks off at 3.30. And um, the website? website is Takesteps.org slash Western Washington 2017.
0: Great. CC for Crohn's colitis. Take Steps. That's the name of the walk. CC cctakesteps.org and then to get specific, the slash Western Washington 2017. That's this year's walk. That's correct. Okay, great. Thank you guys so much for being here. I really appreciate learning yeah, from you. you. We've been talking today with Mallory Swick, Kathleen Waite and 8th grader Sophie Raymond, this year's honored hero from the Northwest chapter of the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation and the Take Steps Walk, like you said, next Sunday at Magnuson Park. Thank you guys so much. Much for coming in, and good luck on the Take Steps Walk next week. I know it'll be big success. And thanks, a bigger thanks to everything the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation is doing to improve the lives of people who are living with Crohn's and Colitis. Thank you so much for being here.
2: Thank, Thank you. Thank you.
0: I am Gary Shipe. Thanks for listening today. We hope you've learned something new. I know I have. Join us again next week as we continue to talk with people that are making a difference in our community.
4: I'm Kate Daniels. Here's a philosophical question: What is our life about? Each of us has a different answer. We may be rumbling around trying to figure out that answer. Perhaps we may find an insight in meeting Tim Bowerschmidt and Ramey Little. They've chosen to live more simply and travel the country. When Tim's elderly mother received a dire diagnosis, the doctors offered conventional therapies. Tim and Ramey offered time on the road and adventures. Norma Bauerschmidt decided the latter sounded perfect. And the story is Driving Miss Norma. We have Tim and Ramy joining us now to share some insights. Ramy and Tim, good morning. It is so wonderful to have this connection with you this morning.
5: Hey, thanks for talking to us this morning, Kate.
4: Good morning, Kate. Good morning, Ramy. Well, you have certainly had such an adventure. I love this book, it is so amazing. Driving Miss Norma, our family's journey saying yes. To living. And I think that that's the part of it. It is just so life-giving and beyond inspiring to really get a sense of what it means to really have a life. And I'm sure that that was definitely your experience in this uh, wonderful journey you've taken.
5: Yeah, it was truly an experience of life and and how you can have a, a, a great experience at the end of your life.
4: And that's a a large part of it because so often, well, very often, we're reticent, as you share with us too in the book, that you were reticent to have this end-of-life kind of conversation. But my goodness, what I think it does for us is realize how important it is, and it's not at all gloomy and doomy, but life-giving in the end.
5: Oh, yeah. It was for both of us. My mom had the best year of her life. I, I can say that for her. Between, before she died, between 90 and
4: 90, 91 and 92, she had the best year of her life. That is so tremendous. Well, to have that life, though, let's give a little bit of a platform here as to how it is, Tim and Ramy, that you were able to take this journey because of your own, what we will call nomadic lifestyle.
6: Kate, we've been living on the road uh, for several years now. Tim and I lived in a little 19-foot Airstream and um, have been traveling around the United States and a little bit in Mexico. And um, you're right, just has, have basically been um, quite nomadic. And every year we, we made our way up to Tim's parents in northern Michigan. That was part of our, part of our travels. And, uh, and so one year when we went up there, things changed a little bit. And that's kind of how we started our journey with Norma.
4: And that's the thing, too, just an aside then, is we will often kind of get into a rhythm of, oh, we expect our parents because, uh, well, my father has now died, but my mother herself has just turned 95, so I can really relate to those changes that go on in time, but we can get kind of complacent. So you came this one year expecting things to fit a pattern, and that's not at all what happened, right, Tim?
5: That's correct. Every year we come back and, and see if everything was okay, get them settled in for the next year, do stuff around the house. But this, this time we came in and my my father was in a health crisis. We, we literally we parked the, the car with the, the trailer on it and never unhooked because my dad. We immediately had to take him to the hospital. And in ten days after we arrived that summer, he died. And uh, two days after he died, my mom got her cancer diagnosis. So yeah, th- that that. The summer of 2015 was a, a much different summer for us
4: and where it could have been really doom and gloom it really turned out to be a catalyst into as you said it was the best year of your mom's entire life
5: I have to agree yeah instead of instead of yeah instead of grieving and and sitting around moping we, we just mobilized to give mom a good experience we didn't know how much time we had with her so Truly, really, time was of the essence. There was no more waiting. We couldn't wait anymore. If we were going to have some good time with her, we had to do it right away. And that meant not not sitting around grieving and moping, but to, to, to push on and, and to live.
4: And she obviously was a very willing in- participant in all of this of course it it took that you it would be difficult to what t- twist a person's uh, arm into doing this sort of thing but did it surprise you that uh, she was as willing to launch into this journey as she was uh ramey do you how did you find that
6: well you know when we when we recognized that we were in this in this crisis and, and i i think it's and you even alluded to it with your own mother as you know, what do we do with mom or what do we do with dad after after their partner of so many years has passed? And and so we had some options and we offered them all up to Norma. You know, she she made it very clear she didn't want any any treatment for this cancer. I'm 90 years old. That's that's not something that I'm interested in putting my body through. And and so we said, you know, the, the options as we see them are. Um, you can have some help at home, or you can move into some kind of a nursing facility with, with some extra support. Or like many adult children and elderly parents, they say, you know, come come live with us. And so we, we put all three of those options on the table, and she knew very well that our home happened to have wheels. And, and you know, we said, don't make any decisions real quick. Think about it pray about it and and let us know whenever you're you're ready to to make a decision of what your next step might be and it took her about a minute and a half to say you know i think i'd like to come along and at that moment we we just began planning for a grand adventure and she was absolutely a willing participant
4: and that is so delightful as you describe it as you tell the story in this wonderful book driving miss norma that she really didn't have to hesitate. she it's as though this was percolating in her perhaps all along. She was not unhappy obviously in her life, but it was like, okay, this is the treatment I need. I don't need the chemo and the radiation and potentially surgery, right?
5: That's right. And, and you know we found out the best the best treatment for any illness is love. As soon as we got together and and bonded as a family again and and began to have these adventures, her health began to improve. Her whole attitude improved. Love is a powerful drug.
4: And you cannot really find that. I guess you'll find ways if, if someone is hospitalized. But this was ideal. You were out crossing the country, seeing places she'd never seen because evidently she had never left her home state of Michigan.
5: No, she she grew up in Ohio, and and my father and she retired in in northern Michigan. They spent the last thirty years up there, and and yeah, they they pretty much were just living their living their life, and I guess waiting to die, like sadly, a lot of people do when you get that old. We would come home, and then they'd be sitting in their respective rocking chairs, and I, I would be sad thinking what, what is, you're just waiting for waiting for your life to end when there's still there still has to be. A, potential for some some life-affirming things at that age.
4: Yes. And this makes it so concrete that it's like, let's take life by those horns and let's make the most of it. And that's really what she did. I got the sense of how she was really kind of caving in as people do as they get to that age. But Everything that she did seemed to just make her grow in in spirit. I guess that she really seemed to come alive.
5: Yeah, she truly blossomed. Kate, out west here we have a we have a plant that's called a century plant. It's a spiky yucca type plant. If, if, it, if it if it if it lives, if it makes through the vagaries of weather and and everything else, it, it, they live to be a hundred years old. And at the end of their life, they, they shoot up this giant stalk about six feet high with great big blooms on the end, and then it dies. I, I think that's a, that's a great metaphor for my mom's wife. She, she lived very long. She she weathered many storms, and she finally, finally the stalk came out, and we had a great big bloom before she finally died.
4: And even if it had lasted perhaps a week, there was so much that was... Filled with enthusiasm. And as you said, that important element of love, that component was always present. But it lasted for over a year. And not only did she have a great time, but didn't she just touch countless lives? Absolutely.
6: When we started this journey, we were concerned that we wouldn't even get her out of the driveway. She was very sick and very sad um, after the passing of Leo, of her husband. And It wasn't long after we made it out of the driveway and started experiencing things that she just kind of transformed into this person that was much more alive. And as that happened, we simultaneously um, set up a Facebook page, really only for my mother who lives in Pennsylvania, to know where we were along the way. And that Facebook page grew some teeth, and about six months into our journey, um, it went quite viral. And... Very, very quickly, hundreds of thousands of people started following our story. And, you know, it's nice to have folks paying attention, but the feedback that we were getting that Norma was providing such inspiration for people all over the world just completely touched our hearts.
4: And that is the piece of it that people may feel, "Oh, I am too old, whatever age it could even be at sixty that they say, "I'm too old to do this," but she shows that regardless of the age that you are, there is still a way to make things happen and with with the stories, it seemed that some there was a, a miraculous component that seemed to come into play
5: yeah Keita, what I found most fascinating is it wasn't just older people she was inspiring. She was inspiring younger people. Younger, I mean, people in their 20s, 30s, 40s, people that thought they couldn't do things. And they saw my mom and they thought, if this 90-year-old woman with cancer can, and and, and just lost her husband can overcome all these things and and see life and see the good things still, I can too. We've had thousands of people write to us. It's not just the old people that are, are thinking, well, I still have something to do. It's people that have their whole lives ahead of them and realize, Maybe I don't have enough time to do everything I want to do, and I'm, I should start doing it now.
4: And what is significant here, uh, we so often in our society get so burdened by stuff. It just really holds us down. And I think with the lifestyle that you've created, you make it easier for yourself to really have the inspiration and move on and see the places, do the things you want to do, and that that way you were able to give this gift to Miss Norma.
6: That's right, Kate. It's been a gift is the right word, and
5: not only a gift to her, but, but a huge gift to us as well. And speaking of, about the, the possessions, yeah, we have, we've embraced the nomadic lifestyle, and obviously you can't carry a lot of stuff around. We have had possessions, but truly really once you walk away from them and you're gone for a couple of days, you forget. Everything you left behind and that was one of the most remarkable things about my mom when we asked her to come along or she agreed to come along is that she left everything behind we asked her do you want to take mementos do you want to have things to to remind you of of your past life and 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 she she said no she bought all new clothes she didn't bring any mementos and we we just she started collecting things along the way to be to feed her new memories so I guess being able to leave possessions and attachments behind it's liberating in, in many ways. It's liberating physically, obviously, and it's also emotionally liberating.
4: Exactly. And again, it's that piece of, for us to consider, there are so many lessons to consider, but that piece of the things that we have to have, I need to have that latest whatever uh, diddly-do thing, but it does begin <laughs> to carry, uh, you know, weigh us down, doesn't it?
5: Yeah. Yes, yeah. it sure does.
4: So there were so many remarkable things. It seemed everywhere you stopped that there were just great things that happened. And one of the stories that really stood out to me was uh, the trip at Hilton Head where uh, Miss Norma wanted to see the parade. And (laughs) there were so many lessons there about just, you know, it, if you really want something, you know, just ask for it. Don't be shy. And it's amazing how kind of, well, the universe provides.
6: <laughs> Indeed. We arrived in Hilton Head Island, South Carolina. And every time we checked into a new campground, there's a, there's a lot to do. We need to, to set up the motorhome and, and get the water and the electricity and the sewer plugged in and and just get things squared away at our at our new stop for a while. And while we do that, we usually hand Norma the the local literature of, of you know, things to do, tourist information and newspapers, whatever they happen to have at their front desk, really. And so we handed her a stack of, of, of reading material as Tim and I were, were getting moved into our new spot. And usually after she has a chance to read these things, we say, okay, Norma, you know, what do you want to do here? And usually she would say, oh, it all looks nice, everything's fine. But this time was different. She saw in the newspaper that there was a parade the following day and that she wanted to go and watch the parade. And so we thought, okay, this is a new place. We don't know our way around at all. We need to figure out how to park in a crowded place with uh, and get her where she, where she could view the parade in a wheelchair. So Tim Tim wrote a quick note off to to someone who was following us from Hilton Head who happened to be with the the Chamber of Commerce and said, "Hey, can you can you give us a good tip for where we might park?" And so so Norma could watch the parade. And she wrote back and said, "Oh, there's lots of great places. to try here or there." And then about five minutes later, wrote back again and said, "Wait a second. What would Norma Miss Norma think if she were in the parade?" <laughs> and and everything shifted at that point. They had an extra car available and and. The very next day, Norma and Ringo and Tim found themselves riding in a parade with what thirty five thousand people <laughs> cheering her on. it was It was quite an event. It, uh, the idea of of saying yes to things uh, really showed up that day,
4: and I think those are the moments that we need to remember other sto- others' stories about what goes on in our life just to have faith and trust that ask for what you what you desire, it may not always come. But then again, you might be wonderfully surprised, and this sort of thing happens.
6: Yeah, sometimes what you think you desire um, can actually be so much bigger and, you, and beyond what your greatest imagination could be. Yes,
4: yes. So the story... That's one story of so many in driving Miss Norma, this wonderful new book that is just the the perfect uh, compilation of stories that is sure to really warm all of our hearts. And as you were both saying, that it inspires uh, so many people at, at all ages. So Miss Norma became such a personality. How did she then acquire this title, Miss Norma? <laughs> I
5: have to ask Ramey that. Mm-hmm. She, she gave her that title. We saw a shift in her. We saw her, I like to say she developed a personality. She came out of her shell, and we just looked at her, and we saw a totally different person, and, and that's why we, we, I guess we just called her Miss Norma. Maybe Randy can tell you more.
6: Well, you know, I, I've always, she's my mother-in-law, I've always just called her Norma, and early on in the trip, you know, we were just kind of doodling along, and we came across a, a roadside attraction in Minnesota, it was a gigantic jolly green giant statue, sixty feet tall. And we we were just kind of laughing at the fact that that actually even existed. And Norma walked up to the statue and she happened to have a green sweater on that day, handed Tim his her cane and posed exactly like the jolly green giant in front of it and and it had this this twinkle in her eye. And that I had never seen before, and I don't think Tim had either. And at that moment, I, I thought to myself, this is going to be really, really fun if she, if she has this in her that we've never seen before. And that, in my mind, is when she transforms to my mother-in-law, Norma, to Miss Norma, someone, someone who is ready to just embrace life and, and take it as it comes.
4: <laughs> that is so exciting isn't it to see that personality come through not that she was an unhappy woman she and uh, your your dad your your father-in-law seemed to have a very content life but there was just this other whole kind of life waiting to happen just given the opportunity
5: That's so true it was truly an untapped untapped thing I, I don't know what if, One held the other back, or or I don't know what it is, but my my father's death liberated my mom in some sense. Not that my father was dominating; he just had a bigger personality. And I I think leaving my mom, my mom leaving her place of 28, 30 years, and getting out of where people expect her to be a certain way, gave her permission to be a different way, to be a maybe the person she always wanted to be. I saw a woman at age 90 that I, I had I had no idea was there and all my years of knowing my mom I had no idea she had the potential to be so witty and charming and funny and, and coy and cute it, it was what a gift i got out of out of this trip
4: and would you say then this was perhaps the the most you had gotten to know your mother you'd known her all your life but in this year year and a half was really kind of the ultimate.
5: Kate, I, I I've had a superficial relationship with my parents most of my life. I was I was very fiercely independent. I moved out of the house at eighteen. Couldn't wait to move away. I moved to Colorado, then I moved to Hawaii. I was I just kept moving further and further away. And I would call a few times a year, maybe visit every few years. I was not really close to my family. No, I we would have stilted conversations on the telephone, just you know, the weather, simple things. Nothing important. In our monthly or our, our visits every year in the summer, we just, like, take care of things. But, no, we didn't really share any serious feelings. We Like I said, we never had the talk. We never talked to them about what they would, might want to do when one or the other was unable to support themselves at their own home or what if one of them died or where would you like to be or how would you like your end of life to look like. We never had any of these discussions. In my mind, I knew we had, should have but as soon as I got there, you'd see them, and I don't know whether I didn't want to make them feel bad. I didn't want to make myself feel bad about talking about, hey, we're going to die here. Let's let's talk about it. Let's, but I, and I never had it. So I, this is the first time I've had a real sustained relationship with my mom. And, and traveling in a 36-foot motorhome, you're, you're, you get to know people pretty well. <laughs> so, so all of that conspired to give me a really rich experience with my mom.
4: And a piece of that is that some people would be hesitant, like they wouldn't necessarily even want a parent or both parents to move in with them, much less to hit the road, as as you said, as she said, uh, to spend time in this confined space. So there was an element, well, actually, was that element of concern to you? Like, oh, what is this going to be?
5: Quite frankly, Rami and I didn't even discuss this. My father died in a hospice wing at the end of the local nursing home, so we would push my mom through the corridor to the end. And despite we didn't want to look into other people's rooms or lives, but the doors were open, we saw the despair in a nursing home. There was just no way I could leave her in a nursing home. I had to step up and take care of my mom. As uncomfortable as it could have been, I we never st- never stopped to think about what would happen if she did say yes, what, what would be the practical realities of, of having her with us all the time. Ramy and I looked each other in the eye after my dad died, and we realized we just looked at each other and we said, "We have to ask her if she wants to come along. Really. There was no other choice. I, I couldn't even stop to think of how it was going to affect us, our marriage, our lifestyle. we We just knew what we had to do. It was my mom,
4: yes, And there's the big answer in the book driving Miss Norma that that yes answer really created such a life. But getting there, offering the choices, I think that that's a really critical part of what you did, is to, this is not a child that you're telling that they have to do something, get dressed, eat your breakfast. Giving people choices, isn't that so critically important?
6: It really is, Kate. And it's interesting that you asked that question because that kind of became gosh, a mantra for us as we were going through this process with Norma and trying to, to understand her needs. And there was some concern, you know, the health issues, she was dropping weight. There were lots of things that were going on, you know, behind the scenes of the beautiful, fun, happy pictures. And our agreement between Tim and I was that we have to constantly give Norma options, give her options about the activities that we that, that we had the opportunity to participate in did she want to stay, stay home or sit outside under the awning and read her book today? Did she want to go for an outing today? Um, this, we always gave her options about what she wanted to eat and um, how she kind of wanted to, wanted to experience her days and her, and her weeks and her time on the road with us. And, and every day it was choices. Do you want to do this or that? You know, if we asked her a yes or no question, I think we would have had a very different um different experience, but, but coming up with those options for her um, made her feel um, like she was definitely participating and a contributing factor to the to the family and to our adventure.
4: And what an adventure it truly was. Would you say to anyone who would be considering something similar when they have aging parents or family members? to consider uh, taking even a a short trip, uh, not necessarily a year and a half on the road. What is your recommendation to them?
6: We realize that our lifestyle is quite different from many others. And I think given the opportunity to do anything that switches things up a little bit for their elderly loved ones is important. There are some people that are homebound that can't leave the home. And we just learned recently that our story inspired someone to then ask people on Facebook to send postcards so that they felt like they had a virtual trip and could travel around a little bit. But just taking your grandma out to lunch makes a huge difference. In the situation that that we have, I think just being creative, you know, it's difficult to drive around the whole country and to, to care for someone the way we do. And people have kids and jobs and obligations and, you know, all those other things that go into life that we don't have and so, yeah, it makes a big difference, but taking them to the local park, getting them out of the house, I think is important, allowing them to, for Norma, being in nature was probably the most important thing for her on this journey, and being able to take her on a dirt path somewhere, or let her get her hands in the dirt at a friend's garden, you know, those are the kinds of things that she really enjoyed, and you don't need a big motorhome and lots of time to do those kinds of things, but just, spend time, and to share that love, like Tim said, makes all the difference in the world.
4: Yes, that special ingredient, love, along with it comes respect, which is where I think offering options and choices is part of it, rather than saying, well, okay, I decided we should do X today. Asking for input, I think, is just such a loving thing to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
5: yeah it, it's very easy to fall into to a reversal of roles where now you're the parent who You're telling your mom what to do and when we're going to do it and how we're going to do it. Yeah, it was hard to resist that. But Rainey early on said, Tim, we need to offer her choices. And really, that was a big thing. There is. Life is choice.
4: Exactly. We're making choices all the time. All the time. Right? Just just because you're 90 doesn't mean you can't make your own choices anymore. And that's the thing. Here we do have a choice of thinking of how are we going to proceed with today, of next week, the next year, our life, but really Mm -hmm. being engaged. That's what you both have done, certainly, with the life that you have chosen to live and have had all these grand adventures, right?
5: Yes. Once you open yourself up to adventure, the unexpected, to something new, it comes flying beyond it. When you get stuck in your rut of, I get up, I do this, I do that, and I come home and I do it every day, that's all that comes into your life. But as soon as you open yourself up to anything and everything that's available to you in the world, things just come streaming through. And the less I resist, the more things came up, the more people were writing, the more love we were receiving, more invitations. It just snowballed after that. And it is, it's, a, it's a mindset.
4: And it's an important life lesson. And so one of the new adventures is, of course, having written this book, Driving Miss Norma, really a must-have for anyone. Don't just buy the book. Read it. It's such an important, important work, so filled with lots of inspiration. And I congratulate you on this latest accomplishment, Tim and Ramy. And, of course, everyone can pick up the copy of the book at any of their favorite book locations, right?
5: That's right. They're flying off the shelves.
4: As well they ought to. Well, it's been such a delight to speak with you. I just admire so much what you've done. You have definitely presented all of us with a very important gift. Thank you for that, and thank you for spending time with us this morning.
5: Oh, our pleasure, Kate. Thank you.
6: Thank you, Kate, so much.